Well, there's a story uh, of a man who was uh, graduating. Uh, he was getting his doctorate in ministry, and so he was going to his graduation, and he, his son uh, grabbed him in the morning and said, Dad, what are you wearing today? And he had his cap and gown on, and um, he said, well, son, we're going to graduation today because I'm becoming a doctor of, of ministry. I'm going to be a doctor. And the son looked at him in a real puzzled way, and he said, Dad, um, doctors have little black bags. Where's your black bag? And uh, the dad chuckled a little bit, and he explained, tried to explain to his son the intricate details and differences between a medical doctor and a doctor of ministry. The truth is that there are many similarities, really, um, between those who care for physical bodies and those who care for the body of Christ. In the text that we're going to be in this morning, uh, which is written by a doctor, uh, Dr. Luke, um, we are going to see the vital signs of a healthy church. What makes a, a church a church, and what are those vital signs that make a church healthy? What make a church vibrant? Um, when we think about the church, we have a lot of preferences when we come to church, right? Uh, we think about the world that we live in and kind of a consumeristic world. I sat at Starbucks this morning over here, and if I wanted to, I could have got a latte uh, with uh, skim milk, with 1% milk, with whole milk, and all the other options. What are they? They're almond milk, all the knockoff things that don't taste as good uh, that we all try to get more healthy. Um, but we live in this just consumeristic world where we have all these options. And so sometimes when we come to church, um, it's those kinds of preferences in which we look for. Um, how good is the preacher? Uh, does he have a personality? What's the worship like? Uh, what's the kids' ministry like? Is there a latte for us this morning? I think there is. Um, and so we look at all these preferences, but let me ask you, why are you at this church? What led you to Christ's community church? Um, what are the things that you can look at scripture and say, I'm here because this church does this? What is the biblical model for church? I wanna look at that this morning as we look at Acts chapter two, verses 40 through 47. This is really a foundational text in the New Testament as we look at what the church is, when I think about what the church is, and I look at the early church and a vibrant, spirit-filled church um, that we can see from Acts chapter two. So Dr. Luke's gonna show us these vital signs of a healthy church from Acts chapter two in that. So let me read that text, and then we will unpack it. Uh, together. Acts chapter 2, uh, and we'll start in verse 40. Uh, verse 40, if I can see it here. Does anybody know how to turn this on? Well, help me out. All right, here we go. Haven't had one of those. Uh, verse 40, Acts chapter 2. Um, God's word says this. It says, and with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them. This is Peter saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received the word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves, verse 42, to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as many who had need. And day by day, attending in the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. 
If we wanted to parse every little thing out of this, these, these few verses, we could probably come up with about 10 marks of a healthy church. I just had to one-up Mark Dever and nine marks there, but 10 marks of a healthy church. I'm not going to do that this morning. Uh, I really want, I, I think you can categorize those things into four areas, four values that a church should have, and those are these, word, community, mission, and worship. Word, community, mission, and worship. And I'm just gonna take one of those this morning. I pray that I get a chance to, to take the others uh, as we move forward. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend time this morning uh, looking at the word, the centrality of the word. And here's my contention. My contention with the church is this, that God builds his church by his word. God builds his church by his word. And I think I see four things in this passage that uh, draw me to that conclusion. Um, number one, I, I think that uh, God builds his church by his word by, because we receive the word. Look at verse 41 in, in particular. We receive the word. This is the gospel message. This is the good news of the gospel. If you look at verse 41 there, um, this is really the end of Peter's sermon. So if I just give you a little recap, in chapter two of Acts, what you see is Peter preaching a Christ-exalting ser- exalted sermon. And you see him Um, talking to the people of Israel with all these other people gathered and watching. And you see God do miraculous things. You see 3,000 people come to Jesus um, that day. Not a bad sermon, empowered by the Spirit, right? And, And what he does is he points to Jesus. He points them to Jesus and he says, who you crucified, you crucified uh, Jesus, the Messiah, and you delivered him up, and he was buried, and, and then he rose from the dead. You see David over here? David is in his tomb, but Jesus rose from the tomb, and then he calls them to repentance. And he says in verse, and then you get to verse 41, and it says, and they received the word. They received the good news of the gospel. This is what you see all the way through the book of Acts, right? In chapter four, they're doing it again. They're, they're talking and teaching about Jesus. And so in the, Old Testament, in the New Testament, what you see in this time, they don't have the full canon. They don't have all of scripture. They're not looking at a Bible like you and I look at a Bible. Um, they're looking at the Old Testament and through the lens of what, they, what the Bible says, what they had seen and heard of Jesus. And so what Jesus had taught them through the lens of the Old Testament to understand who Jesus was. And so that's what they're teaching these people, and they come to faith in Christ. Acts chapter 4, if you go there, verse 4, that's what you see. You see people coming to faith in Jesus Christ when the gospel is shared by these faithful uh, disciples. What you see in the book of Acts, all the way through the book of Acts, is people receiving the word because the word is proclaimed. If I could summarize the whole Bible, I would do it in this way as it relates to Jesus. Uh, The Old Testament anticipates the coming of Messiah, right? You see all the prophecies and all the things, and then you get to the New Testament, and you see the Gospels. And what does John the Baptist say when he sees Jesus? He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so you see Old Testament, the anticipation of Christ. You see the Gospels where Jesus is here. He's manifested. And then you come to the book of Acts, and what do they do? Through the power of the Spirit. The gospel is proclaimed to all. And then you look at the epistles. When you come to the epistles, what do you see? You see these disciples explaining who Jesus is. And then you come to the great book of Revelation and the consummation of all of this in which Jesus is sitting on the throne. And so anticipation, manifestation, proclamation, explanation, consummation. So we're in the book of Acts and this is what they're doing. They're telling all who will listen, all who will listen about their Savior Jesus. 
So let me ask you, maybe today, uh, Christ Community Church, have you received the good news of Christ, or is it just information that you know? You know, kids, uh, you're in here all summer, and so I want to ask you, you know, growing up as a kid, uh, I went to church. I went to church on Sunday morning. I went to church on Sunday night. I went to church on Wednesday night, and I heard all about Jesus. I heard all the Bible stories. We didn't have a wana back then, but I could have gotten all the patches from memorizing verses and information. I could tell you the gospel forward and backward that Jesus had died on a cross to save me from my sins, and that I believed in him. I would have forgiveness and eternal life. But you know, when I was a kid, I made a profession of faith when I was like eight or nine years old. Um, but I don't think I actually believed because I think what was happening was is I just knew information. There's a difference in knowing information and receiving Jesus. And so if you kids, if y'all have questions about that, I would encourage you to talk to your mom and dad. You would make your mom and dad's day, actually you'd make their life, if um, this afternoon, if you had questions about that, that you would go to them and say, mom, dad, can we talk about Jesus? Can we talk about the difference in just knowing about him and really knowing him? And if that scares you a little bit, you're like, I don't know if I wanna have that conversation. Maybe you write it down, or maybe you find a Sunday school teacher, or maybe you find somebody that you know to talk to about. You would make your parents' world um, if you wanted to sit down and talk with them about that. And I'd tell you, uh, as people who live in the Bible Belt, most of us, or a lot of us, have grown up just knowing about Jesus as adults even. And so if you coming to church is just kind of like you uh, learning a textbook and learning information, I would just encourage you that there's a difference between the information of the gospel and the truths of God's word and receiving that. If you haven't put all your chips in on Jesus and, and, and understood that because of your sin, you're separated from Christ, you're separated from God, and you need Jesus to forgive you of your sins, if you haven't gone all in on that, I would encourage you to receive Christ and trust and, and count on him for what he's done on a cross that you might have forgiveness and you might have eternal life. That's the gospel. The gospel is more than information to understand. It's something to appropriate. It's something that you trust in. To be at a place where you say, nothing with my hands I bring, only to the cross I cling. That's the gospel message. You know, I'm willing, and uh, I don't know what the schedule is today, but if, if that's something for you, especially as an adult, that you're trying to process and think through. Uh, the Astros come on at two o'clock, and they really need to get a win uh, today, that team up north, but I would love to sit and talk with you. I would much rather sit and talk with you about Jesus and the gospel right here um, than do any of those things. And if you know somebody that is a Christian at your work or you know somebody here or somebody in your community group that you can sit and talk to about that, I'm sure they would be delighted to do that. So we need to receive the word, the gospel word, the good news of Christ. If you call me as your pastor, you're gonna hear a lot about the gospel. You're gonna hear a lot about the gospel, the good news of Christ. Um, God builds his church by his people literally receiving the word. But he also builds his church by calling believers to be sustained by the word of God. To be sustained by the word of God. That's your second idea here in this text. Look at verse 42. In particular, verse 42 says this. And, it's, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves, the idea here in the language is that they're continuously devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now think about the story, right? They're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. 
the Holy Spirit comes and a rushing wind comes through. Imagine yourself as one of those 3,000 people. 3,000 people who have come to know Jesus. What do you know about Christianity? You know that the Holy Spirit comes in power and you, you're, let's say you're a person, you're an Italian and you're in Jerusalem and you've got an Arab guy speaking your language miraculously about the gospel and you come to faith in Jesus Christ. So guess what? Your experience so far in Christianity is, is about a pretty amazing, miraculous thing that's happened. And so if I'm one of those, I might think, I might think that the Christian life is a lot about this. It's a lot about experiencing the power of God. And surely that happened later. And surely God works in those ways. But look at the first thing that they do. The first thing in verse 42 that they do is they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. And this is what you see all the way through the book of Acts. You see through the book of Acts, the Bereans studying the scriptures, right? You see them studying and examining, and they receive the word. And so they're serious about the word of God, not just an experience. So all the way through this book, this is what you're seeing. You're seeing them studying the word. And in particular, the apostles' teaching, alluded to it a minute ago, but the apostles' teaching, like, the apostles don't have the full canon, as I said before, but what they're doing is they're looking through the lens of what they've seen and heard from Jesus, and they're teaching it. But think about it. There are 3,000 baby Christians here. That is a glorious mess, a glorious mess, and so they're teaching all the time. This is what you see in the book of Acts. They're teaching till midnight. They're, they're teaching the word, what they know about Jesus from the Old Testament, from uh, the life and ministry of Jesus. And you think about all the issues that you see present in the early church. Um, This is a healthy church, but they have all kinds of issues. They have 3,000 people, and a lot of them come from way more diverse backgrounds than we do. We talk about diversity and the challenges of that. They were way more diverse than us. And so you have things like a Jew trying to figure out, can I go to church with a Gentile? And then a Gentile's eating food sacrificed to idols and going, what's the big deal, right? And so there's all kinds of cultural issues as this church comes together in unity. But they have the same issues that we do. If you look through the New Testament epistles, that's what you see. You see trouble in marriage, trouble in parenting, trouble in work, trying to figure out what it looks like to be a Christian in those ways. And so they have all those things that we have as well. They're trying to figure those things out. Let me, let me say it this way as it, as it relates to the, the work of the Spirit, as it relates to the Word. The church in which the Spirit reigns is a church of the book. The church of the book is a church in which the spirit reigns. There's all kinds of ditches in that in our world, aren't there? Those two things go together. The spirit doesn't go places where the word doesn't go, and the word doesn't go places where the spirit doesn't go. Those things work, the spirit and the word of God always work together, and the ditches that we know exist there are these. Like we come to church and we just wanna learn information and functionally some churches just operate like God is dead, like they're just deists, like God started this thing but there's nothing else there but he's not at work. And you can go to a church and you can learn information and yet the spirit just seems dead there. And yet you can also give yourself to experience and, and kind of put the word on a shelf and that's another ditch that we fall into. And so are you seeking after experience without the word and Jesus involved? That's a dangerous ditch. And as well, 
Do you seek the word without any care of the spirit moving in a church? Those are important things. Maybe I'm upsetting everyone. Maybe not a good thing to do this morning. Um, But the word and the spirit in this text, what you ought to see is that they work together. They don't work separately. This is what you see in the book of Ephesians, right? Uh, Where you see the armor of God, what do you see? You see... uh, The armor of God being empowered, the word of God being powered by the spirit, right? The sword, which is the word of the spirit. That's how it works. But look at all of other scripture. There's all kinds of other scripture that talk about how the word sustains us, how the word nourishes us. Think about these passages. Think about Jesus, Matthew chapter four. Man doesn't live on bread alone, but from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Sustenance comes from me. Let the word of Christ, Colossians 3, let the word of Christ do what? Richly dwell within me. How about 1 Peter 2, 2? It says, like newborn infants, think about that, newborn infants long for the pure milk of the word. See, the word sustains and the word nourishes us. One of my favorites is actually from the Old Testament, Psalm 19. Psalm 19.10 says this. Uh, It says that more desirable than gold, much gold, is the word of God. And then it says, sweeter than honey, dripping from a honeycomb, is the word of God. My kids are getting a little older, and so we don't have to watch animated movies. Like, all the movies we watch aren't animated at this point. It's a glorious thing. I know you have a lot of young kids. Uh, It's a glorious thing. And so the latest Jungle Book movie, I don't know if you've seen it, came out a few years ago. There's a scene in that movie uh, where uh, Baloo the bear, uh, Mowgli's interacted with Baloo the bear, and he manipulates, basically, Mowgli to go up to the cliff and get all the honey comb down from the cliff so he can eat it. And so Mowgli goes up and kicks it down and Baloo the bear is just literally sitting under there and there's a warthog at the the bottom and all this honey and honeycomb fall down and what does Baloo do? He just annihilates, I mean annihilates this honey and he licks it off the warthog. That's a great image, right? Uh, Before lunch, he licks it off the warthog. But, But that's a great picture of how we are to be nourished by the word. That's how important the word of God is. It nourishes us. It sustains us. You know, I came to Christ in college, and um, I was just happened to be in a place uh, where the word of God was taught at a church where I was at. Um, I came to Christ as a new believer, and um, uh, God led me to the Lord and um, started discipling me, and within a couple weeks, he got me this Bible. And um, Over the course of seven or eight years, um, I just spent with him, especially, a lot of time in this Bible. This Bible is a treasure to me. Um, It's a treasure to me because, you know, when you memorize scripture, you see it like on this part of the page or that part of the page. Um, I need to find, so I don't know if you know anybody to, to rebind this thing. Maybe you can help me out, but this thing is a wreck. But he gave it to me and he said, wield the sword well, your brother in Christ, Mark. And he taught me the word, and I just began, um, I love watching new believers and their desire for the word of God, that they want to know God through the word. And yet, at the same time, I would just say to you this morning, maybe by way of application, um, I don't want to look back at that Bible and go, man, those were the good old days, you know? 
Those are the good old days when I spent time in Scripture and I spent time knowing God, but I, I want to meet with God. I hope I fill up, I hope I fill up a rack in my cabinet of Bibles that are well worn. Because the Word of God, Christ Community Church, the Word of God nourishes us. And I don't know where we are at with that. Maybe you're saying, well, that was true at a certain time in my life, but this happened. I went through this, and this is really hard for me to open the Word and think. Or maybe you're at a place um, where, um, you know, man, it's really hard for me. It's really hard for me to understand the Word. I mean, you just need somebody there to help uh, you uh, understand the word and learn the word. Um, but, but here's the graciousness of God. The graciousness of God is, is that you can go home and you can dust off the Bible that you have and he's still there. The book of James says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. So he's still there and he's still waiting. And guess what? That meal that's prepared for you when you open the word, it stays fresh. It doesn't sour. And so you can open up the word and uh, this is not a checkbox, by the way. I don't read the word. I don't want to read the word just as a checkbox or as a guilt trip for doing it. I want to know God. And he has given us his word uh, to know him. It's a meal prepared. And so if you call me as your pastor, I would want very much uh, to present meals to you on Sunday morning. But I want you to be in God's word and be nourished by God's word and changed by God's word and fed by God's word. And I want this to be, I would want this to be a church um, and where God's word reigns, where God word is, God's word is taught and preached and lived as a church. So we receive the word, we're sustained by the word. What else do you see here in this early church? Verse 47 um, in particular um, look down in verse 47 there. Verse 47, 46 and 7, it says, Day by day, attending the temple, together breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts. Here it is. Verse 47, it says, They were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so the implication here is that they're still sharing the word. Do you see it? They're still sharing the word. The Lord was adding to their number day by day. They're still sharing the word, but look at how it works. Um, verse 46 uh, speaks of how um, they were having favor with all the people. All the people is not just the church. Uh, all the people was the community. I want, I've, I've got a letter that's really written by a, an unbeliever in the first century. He was writing to the emperor um, of this day in Jerusalem. And, and so this is a guy who doesn't know Christ, but he's making observation about the Christian community um, of the church in Jerusalem. And here's what he says. He says, if they have servants in their home, through love towards them, they persuade them to become Christians. Remember in that day, there were indentured servants or slaves that, that people had in their homes and they were treated awfully and that's not the witness of the Christian church. And when the servants become Christians, they call them brothers without distinction. You ever read the book of Philemon? That's what you see. They don't worship strange gods, and they go out of their way in all modesty and cheerfulness. They don't lie, they love one another, and they don't turn away care for widows. They rescue orphans from those who treat them harshly. They give to those who are poor without boasting about it. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. They don't treat him like a second-class citizen. And whenever someone poor amongst them dies, they pitch in and carefully see their burial. If they hear that someone of their own is imprisoned or suffer on account of their faith in their Messiah, 
all of them anxiously minister to him if they are able to try to set them free from prison. Check this one out. If there is among them any that is poor and needy, and if they themselves have no food to spare, they will fast for two or three days in order to supply to the needy their lack of food. That is an incredible testimony of the church caring for others, having a witness, being a city set on a hill. And so you see this picture of them sharing, but there's word and deed here. Do you see it? There's word and deed. And some of you, maybe, maybe you're the Green Beret type where uh, you like the free speech area and you don't mind sharing the gospel from that. Um, or, or maybe you're the person that, that the idea of sharing your faith, it scares you to death. You'd rather uh, do anything but that and left to yourself. Um, I mean, in both of those places, um, God can move you um, to be a person of word and deed. Um, my wife is really great at this. She's more introverted, and she loves to care for people, and that gives her so many opportunities to, to share the gospel and to be a light in people's lives, and she's not the person at the free speech area. Um, uh, there's a guy that I work with. He's a pastor at our church in Houston, and he is a gentle giant. Uh, he, we're, in the build, we're in the middle of a building process right now for our students um, at our church, and um, there are contractors there every day, and I'll look out, and Todd's out there. He's brought them breakfast, and he's sitting there, and he's got his Bible open, and they're having a Bible study with the contractors and all these workers that come in, and he's invested his time little by little, not yelling at them or uh, belittling them, but coming alongside of them and caring for them. The other day, I walked out of the office, and he was in the office with uh, the foreman of, the, of this construction company and just talking to him about the Lord. And so wherever you're at, whether you're the free speech person or whether uh, you are the introverted person that wants to love on people, word and deed, and sharing the word is, is so important. So if you call me as your pastor, I would say this. I want to see us being a sent out people that live on mission for Christ. You know, I grew up on a ranch and um, in the middle of nowhere, really, about 20 miles from any town. I wouldn't call it a city. So uh, just west of Llano, Texas. And so uh, 20 miles out in the country, it's beautiful at night because you can just, you feels like you can just touch the stars, but it's very dark. And so when you roll into uh, our gate, uh, our family cemetery is right here, which is kind of creepy, and it's completely dark and there are no lights anywhere and it still freaks me out as a... 40 plus year old to go in there. And, and one of the interesting things about living in the country is that there aren't many lights anywhere. I think our nearest neighbor on one side is about a mile, on the other side about two miles. So you don't see many lights. They're just infrequent. And so it's hard to see where you're going. And yet we can look at town from about 20 miles away where there's a lot of lights together and we can see light. You know when Jesus said the church ought to be a city set on a hill? That's what the church can be, and that's my heart for this church, that we're a city set on this hill. And Egypt, is that where we're at? Egypt, Texas? It's not Egypt. It's not official, right? I'm trying to figure out the map a little bit. But, but the church is meant to be a city set on a hill where the lights are shining together brightest. And that's my heart. That would be my heart for this church. So God builds this church by sharing the word through word and deed. But there's... Yet another dynamic, I think in the Bible at least, that you see, you don't see it explicitly in this text, but I think you see it really clearly. When we start using the idea of the word, 
Um, and, and, and the point is this. We need to not only be sustained by the word, share the word, receive the word. That's a lot of doing. But we need to know the word himself. We need to know the word himself. What do I mean by that? John chapter one, what does John say about Jesus? It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word, verse 14, became flesh and dwelt among us. See, Jesus is the very word of God. So we don't have this impersonal God that is out there, but not only do we have, not have an impersonal God, we have a God who has revealed himself in his word through the prophets, but we also have a God who cares enough to become a man and to dwell among us, the Logos, the word made flesh. I mean, this breaks every philosophical um, mainframe computer in my brain that God would become a man and dwell among us. So not only can I point at the word of God and say, this is what God says, but I can point at Jesus and said, that's God made flesh. And the implication of that is that God wants to be personal with you and me. This is why the apostle Peter said this, when Jesus said, are you gonna leave too? And, Jesus, and, and Peter says what? He says, where would I go? You have the words of life. You're the Holy One of Israel. That's why, Peter, that's why Paul in Philippians chapter three, when he goes through his resume and he talks about all the things that he's accomplished and then he says, but I've counted all those things as loss in view of the surpassing value of what? Knowing Christ. You have a savior that has become a man who wants to have relationship with you and with me. So we need to know the word himself. I was on an elder retreat a few weeks ago and we were praying together as brothers and one of the guys said, you know, my prayer for my kids is this. You know, we, we do this church thing. We do it every Sunday. We do it at our community group. And my prayer for my kids is that they don't just perceive that we do church and we do these Christian things, but they really truly see and know Jesus. I thought that was profound. It was simple, but it was profound. I don't want all the things that we do to get in the way of the fact that we are here because we love Jesus. So we need to know the word himself. And it's right and good. All the other things I've said so far are right and good for a church to share the gospel, to preach the word. But we need to be cultivating a relationship with Jesus I don't know if you know the story of Mary and Martha and what Jesus had to say to Mary and Martha. I'm a Martha. I do stuff. I want to do. Um, maybe you're that way. But you know, we need to sit at the feet of Jesus and know him and cultivate relationship with him as he cultivates relationship with us. So if you call me as your pastor, I want you to serve. I want you to share um, I want you to invest deeply, but more in, than any of those things, I want you to know Jesus. I want you to know him. He wants to know you. You know, I wonder about that dad, the dad that was becoming a doctor, and the son that asked him about the black bag. You know, I wonder what happened. I don't know the rest of the story, but I wonder if the doctor of ministry knelt down and said to his son, son, I don't have a black bag. But what I do have is the word of God, which is about the son of God that's empowered by the spirit of God, amen? 
God builds his church by his word. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who meditate on your word day and night so that we might be a tree, like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, that our leaves would not wither or fade. And so root us in your word and help us know the word himself. In Jesus' name, amen.